0: We are in Samuel first Samuel, the ninth chapter, and we are reading about the uh, coronation, if you will, the anointing of Saul, who's going to become the first king of Israel. Now you have to remember the context here. God doesn't want them to have a king. He has asked them to uh, just trust him, And that he would be the king, they were this big nation, a nation to be dealt with in the area. Uh, The only one without a king, it made them different. God wanted them to be different. We talked about this last week as well. Uh, Even to this day, God wants people of faith to be different. Now, you don't want to be so different that people are complete. Uh, completely freaked out by you and stuff you know so you want to do the best <laughs> you can as paul said to relate to people around you and share the gospel with them uh but make no mistake when you're really a christ follower you're different than everybody else we think differently at least we're supposed to we act differently at least we're supposed to we're supposed to think Differently, We think not of this world. We are, the Bible says, aliens. You talk about illegal aliens. We are the ultimate illegal aliens as far as the world is concerned. Uh, we don't belong here. Uh, they hate us if they really uh, uh, view us in full truth because we uh, open and shine light on their sins. We reveal the secret works of darkness, the Bible says, and by and large, the world, Jesus said, will hate you. And uh, and that's okay. You know, Jesus said, they hated me, so they're going to hate you. Uh, But he said, let your light shine, man. Be out there and let the kingdom of God shine through you. So uh, in the Old Testament, God wanted a nation set apart to himself. Uh, they were already very different. They circumcised their men. Nobody did that. You know, it's very, very strange. Uh, they would, uh, uh, you know, eat only in certain ways, and had to make sure things were prepared in certain ways, and they prayed and worshipped in certain ways. Everything about them made the other nations of the world go, "What a strange bunch of people!" Okay. And again, here's this nation. Everybody's got a king, but not this nation. God is their king, and then He would raise up prophets and judges or whatever you wanted to call them who uh, God would anoint to rule over the people and to to help uh, them through their troubles and lead them in times of war and battle but no king well they finally couldn't take it anymore and cried out to God and said God we want a king God warned them look if you have a king you're not going to be happy with us they said we don't care this is what we want and so God tells Samuel "All right, go find a king so um, we pick up where Saul is going out there looking for donkeys that his dad lost uh and his dad's gonna find these donkeys and they're all over the place and they're about to give up because they can't find them and the guy who's with Saul says hey let's go down to this prophet we hear he's a prophet maybe he knows where the donkeys are so anyway Paul or uh, Saul walks up to Samuel and says you know I'm looking for the seer the prophet we see it in verse 19 he says I'm the seer And right away, Samuel knew this, who was the guy that God uh, was calling to be king, that was going to anoint him because the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. And Saul says to him, go ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. So he basically invites him to have dinner with him. And in the morning, I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is in your heart. What does that mean? Uh, He was basically going to prophesy to him, to reveal to him what was in his heart, and, and God could speak to him. He says, as for the donkeys, you lost three days ago. So he knew right away what was going on. Do not worry about them. They've been found. And then he looks at him and says these words. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family? Now, it's a very strange thing to say. He's basically saying, you know, you are the answer. You are the one that all of Israel is looking towards. And Saul's thinking, what are you talking about, man? I'm just here looking for donkeys. And Saul answered. He says, but I'm uh but am i not a benjamite from the smallest tribe of israel we remember the big battle at the end of the book of judges where the tribe of benjamin was almost completely wiped out very few men left they'd killed all the women and children horrible story by the way but uh you know then israel realized oh what are we going to do we're going to lose a tribe we've always had that 12th tribe and they figured out a way to get them wives and so they could keep going so Of all the tribes, the smallest one at this point is Benjamin. They were decimated in this battle and conflict. He says, what are you talking about leading or or people wanting help from me? I'm I'm a Benjamin. I'm a nothing. I'm from the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans in the tribe of Benjamin. So not only am I from the least tribe, I'm from the least clan in the tribe. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. Why do you say such a thing to me? Again, Saul is not looking for anything. And Mark, as I pointed out last week, that look at his attitude. He's extremely humble at this point in his life. It's primarily the reason God was able to use him because he was very humble of heart. Well, that says, Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited. About 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up, uh, the leg with what was on it and set it in front of Saul and Samuel said here is what has been kept for you eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion from this time uh, for the time I said I've invited guests and Saul dined with Samuel that day so they basically they pull Saul in they put him at the head of the table give him the best meat I mean they're treating him like a king okay Paul's thinking Wow. Well, Saul's thinking wow man they're treating me like a king well in fact they are treating him like a king they are about to anoint him as the king over the nation well after they came down from the high place of the town samuel talked with saul on the roof of his house they rose about daybreak and samuel called to saul on the roof get ready i will send you on your way when saul got ready he and samuel went outside together as they were going down to the edge of town samuel said to saul tell the servant to go on ahead of us and the servant did so but you stay here a while so that i may give you a message from god so basically tell your servant to go on he just wants to talk to him by himself Chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. Now, you know, somebody starts dumping a quart of Crisco on my head, it's going to freak me out. But this is something the prophets would do. It was a sign of the Spirit of God on them. And he took this oil. He anoints him. He kisses him and says... On the cheek, I'm sure. And says, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today... You will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. So now he starts prophesying to him. And, and it's amazing how these guys would know things when the Spirit of God would call, uh, fall on him. So he basically tells them of what's going to happen uh, this day. When you leave me, you're going to meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, so he knows what they're going to say. And he prophesies them. When you see them, they're going to say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. Which is what he told them the day before. And now your father has stopped thinking about them, and I was worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. Again, incredible detail of what was about to happen to him. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. He said, well, you know, how does God know this is going to happen? He's God. He knows everything. The fact that you're here is no surprise to God. I mean, God knows what's going on. After that, he says, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, uh, tambourines, flutes, harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. And then he tells them that the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. Wow. All right. Now once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. Go ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you and sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So he says, once you get to Gilgal, wait. Seven days until I come and I'm going to tell you what to do. That was the last thing he told him. So as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all the signs were fulfilled that day. So everything that he said was going to happen, happened. And it must have been quite, quite the rush for Saul as he's going along. And everything that he said, all of a sudden these people walked up to him. And here come these three guys and they're carrying the exact things that Saul or Samuel said that he was going to be carrying. And, and all this incredible stuff is happening so when they arrived at Gibeah, sure enough, a procession of prophets met him. Here come the prophets coming down, they're prophesying, speaking the words of God. And they're playing their musical instruments and they're worshiping God. Well, all of a sudden the Spirit of God now comes upon Saul in power. And he joined in their prophesying. And I love the way Samuel says this. He says, you're going to be changed into a different person. Spirit of God comes on you, it changes you. Amen to that. And uh, so now Saul, who knows nothing, he's never been a prophet. He's never been any of these things. He's never studied for any of these things. He hasn't prepared himself for anything. Man, he was just looking for donkeys. Okay? So now he is coming and the prophets come. And just like Samuel said, the Spirit of God falls on Saul. And now Saul is praising and worshiping God and he's prophesying. And he's entering in and prophesying among the prophets. Now when all those who had formerly known him, you know... Pretty small towns comparatively today. I mean, they they know who this guy is. And they also see him prophesying with the prophets. They ask each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So everybody was shocked. Is Saul also among the prophets? And this went around so much, um, a man who lived there answered, And who was their father? So it became a saying. They said so much that it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? It became a common saying of the day. It would be like if we see somebody doing something unusual, people would say, is Saul also among the prophets? I mean, it would be like if Pastor Lathan got up and started playing a guitar and leading worship, you know, we'd say, is Saul also among the prophets? I mean, stuff that like you just wouldn't expect, wow, became a common saying around there because of this event. Something no one expected, and that was their phrase for that, is Saul also among the prophets? Anyway, after Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high places he was supposed to. Now, Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Where where, where have you been, remember? uh, Even the guys that Samuel prophesied said, look, your dad's not worried about you. So he gets there, he says, where have you been? He said, well, looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, well, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul replied, well, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. And that was it. That's all he told him. He did not tell him, this guy anointed me with oil and uh, said I was going to be king and leader of Israel. And told me all these incredible things and I prophesied with the prophets and everything. Again, all he said was, yeah, the donkeys would be found. Why? Again, uh, Saul was in a place of humility. He didn't want to say stuff. It says here he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. So he wasn't arrogant. He was proud. He wasn't proud. He was as humble as he could be. Again, why God could use him. So anyway, finally Samuel summoned the people of Israel. So he calls everybody. Come to the Lord at Mizpah. And said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. And I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But now... Uh, But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourself before the Lord by tribes and clans. Now we're going to see this stress over and over again. It doesn't come across as strong as I think God was sensing this here. Uh, Because what God was doing was very much a concession. Um, He was allowing them a king but he didn't want them to have a king. He really didn't. This was not God's plan. Uh, God let him know that you know, this is insulting to me. Um, this is what I, not what I had desired for you. Even though uh, we had read how Moses had prophesied that they would want to do this someday. Um, so the, the day was there and they're doing it. Uh, when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. So here it comes to get everybody together. And they're here, we're going to pick a king. Now Samuel already knew who the king was going to be, but it hadn't been announced. All right? So uh, we saw this often in the Old Testament where they pulled the whole nation together and then they would pick one tribe and they would pick a clan in the tribe and then a the family in the tribe to find a particular guy, good or bad. Uh, and so this is what they did. They brought everybody together, here's the whole nation, and then they turn and says, everyone from Benjamin, come forward, and then... Uh, they brought forth the tribe of Benjamin, and then they came clan by clan, and then Matre's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. So, the son of Kish, he says, we want the son of Kish. Step forward. This is, this is it. This is the big announcement. Well, they look around, and there's no Saul. So, all this pomp and circumstance, all this big deal, Saul's nowhere to be found. And, uh, this says when they looked for him, he wasn't found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord revealed, yeah, he's hiding among the baggage. <laughs> so here is this big deal going on. Saul knew he was going to be looking for him because Samuel had already privately anointed him, told him what God was going to do when all this happened. Again, he is so humble. He's hiding with the baggage. And uh, they've got to go chase him down. So it says they ran, they find him, they bring him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. He was a tall guy. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? So So they finally find the guy and they continue with the ceremony. There's no one like him among the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Long live the king. This is what they wanted. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them. Even though they knew this uh, hurt the heart of God. Well, Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. The rules. How this is going to work. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people each to his own home. So Saul also went to his home in Gibeah accompanied by valiant men. Whose hearts God had touched. So you had these valiant warriors. These strong men. who They were thrilled to have a king. I mean this touched something in them. These were warriors at heart. And when this Saul guy was anointed. And he goes. These men joined themselves with him. They wanted to serve the king. They wanted to be around the king. So that was the positive thing. On the negative side it says. But some troublemaker said. How can this fella save us? And they despised him and brought him no gifts. But Paul kept, Saul kept silent. I keep calling him Paul. Because in the New Testament, Saul became Paul. Anyway, uh, so Saul kept silent. So right away the people yelled, Long live the king, this is great. Valiant men surround him. They're following him. But a bunch of people are going, Who is this Nimrod? We don't know who this guy is. He can't find donkeys for crying out loud. So they were, they were critical and they weren't too positive about this. So, at this point, Saul just goes back with his family. Now, uh, chapter 11. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on this one condition. So this this enemy army comes in. uh, The people of Israel who are in this city... Freak out, and they said, You know, let's make a treaty with you. Let's make peace, and then we'll be subject. They were willing to subject themselves to the rulership of this invading king, Nahash the Ammonite. I assume he's a king. Um, and he says, Okay, I'll do that. We will make a treaty with you, just on, under one condition. Okay, great. What's the condition? That I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and so bring disgrace on all Israel. Well, now. <laughs> What kind of a bizarre deal is this? Yes, I'll make a treaty with you. You are going to subject yourself to me. I'm going to be ruler over you. Great, just one condition. I get to gouge out everybody's right eyeball. Now, ooh, this is gross. You've got to assume he's done this before. I mean, wow, what a horrible thing. Grabbing people and and just gouging out their eyes. Oh, man. So now, this next verse, I, I find kind of odd, but... This is an odd culture. This is an odd time of the world. Anyway, so the elders of Jabesh said, okay, well, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, then we will surrender to you. Well, apparently that was okay with this cat. Now, I don't know what was going on. If I'm coming to invade a city, I'm not going to wait around to see if anybody's going to come and rescue them. That means they're going to come and attack me strange situation i don't get it but they said well okay we'll submit ourselves to you and you can gouge out our eyes just give us seven days if you don't mind and see if anybody will come rescue us the only thing i can figure i mean here's not exactly the most compassionate man in the world after all he wants to gouge out their right eyes everybody uh i just assume he was an arrogant guy and he felt tough and he wanted to fight and uh, so when they said, hey, well, you know, we'll do all that you say. Just give us seven days to see if anybody will come and help us. And this guy's saying, great, go for it. You know, as if, you know, come on, bring it on. You got some buddies who want to fight me? Again, strange, but strange time. So when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. <laughs> oh, yeah, They were freaking out. Oh, my gosh, we're all going to get our right eye gouged out. I mean, this is, and, uh, you know, this was a very violent, crazy time of the world. And these people took this very seriously. I don't know about you, but if I knew that everybody listening to me right now and everybody in a celebration church was suddenly going to have their right eye gouged out, that's a drag, man. You think about that for a little while, and you know it's coming. You're crying. You're freaking out. So they all wept aloud. Well, just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen. You say, what do you mean oxen? I thought they made him king. They did. But nothing really changed yet. It's a strange thing. Because when you're a king, you generally aren't working, plowing fields behind an ox. At this point, nothing had happened. He was anointed. And by the way, you will see this uh, time and time again. Um, it, It changes uh, as the more established the kingship gets, but certainly with even David, uh, there, there was this lag time from the time they were anointed till the time they walked into what God had told them they were going to be. For example, Saul, I'm a king, they have this big hoop dog well, all he knows is he's back home plowing with cows, okay? Nothing had really changed. Sometimes there's a lag between the anointing and the calling of God falling on you and the reality of... Of Of you walking in that, really important for you to realize sometimes God will speak to people, maybe he 'll speak to you, and you really feel like God is calling you and leading you in a certain direction. Well, oftentimes when we feel that we think well that 's going to start happening today that 's going to happen tomorrow. you know God has put in my heart i 'm going to start doing such and such and and it doesn 't happen right away, and then a year goes by or two years goes by, and uh, we become discouraged and we lose focus and we lose hope uh, because we think because it's delayed it's not going to happen. But oftentimes God will speak way ahead of the actual event happening. You say, why is that? I don't really know. I just know it happens and it happens a lot. Not always. Sometimes God will call somebody, boom, and right away it happens. All right? But a lot of times there's a delay. I know in my own personal life uh, the picture of me that I had in my heart of ministering and preaching and teaching people, man, there was almost a 30-year delay from when God had put that in my heart to when that became a reality in my life. And I, like so many, you know, I, I finally gave up and thought, you know, it's it's, it's never going to happen. Uh, I remember being, you know, getting ready to turn 45 and and just standing before the Lord, just tears running down my face and, apologizing to god you know i felt that i had blown it i had made mistakes i'd obviously lost my trip because whatever that picture was in my heart was clearly never going to happen because i'm too old it's too late it will never happen for me and uh and just surrendered to god uh in all likelihood in my life it took probably 30 years for god to knock enough sense stupidness out of me not sense some sense into me and stupidness out of me to where he got me to a place when all of a sudden Boom, then the picture and the dream that I had in my heart started becoming a reality. Big delay. I really thought it was too late for me. You don't start in ministry at about age 50 and uh, and expect a whole lot to happen. And what God has done in my life in just a handful of six, seven years is quite stunning. But it's the reality of what God had put into my heart when I was 16 years of age. When I first gave my heart to Jesus, this picture was on the inside of me. But because it just—I I would try to make it happen by myself and try to do it on my own. I wouldn't do it, and I failed and got frustrated. And anyway, we don't have enough time to talk about all my failures over that 30-year period and frustrations. But it was a time of learning and growing, and God trying to build some character into me. So I, I'm just pointing this out that oftentimes there is—it's not always instantaneous. What God picks puts a picture on the inside of you often doesn't happen sometimes for years he'll put a picture a vision in a dream and sometimes it's gonna be a very long time before that dream will come to pass not always again sometimes it happens right away god might speak to you today about something and tomorrow boom stuff starts changing in your life and you start going a new direction that's a lot more fun by the way (laughs) the delays the delay version is really kind of a drag but don't be discouraged when um You know, you feel like, uh, you know, you had this glorious experience with God, and now you're stuck behind a couple of ox plowing fields. And, and thinking, you know, what was that about? Where was God? I don't know. You know, nothing's changed in my life. I'm still here smelling the south end of a north headed cow. You know, this, this is, this is, uh, this is a drag. Uh, but, uh, so here is Saul, and he hears these people crying. And he says, well, what's wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? And they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. We're going to pluck out everybody's right eyeball. And this guy's going to take off over the area and make them subjects. And when Saul heard their words, boom, the spirit of God came upon him in power. And he burned with anger. This would be referred to as righteous indignation. And make no mistake, those of us who are believers... When we get angry about stuff, we often think all, our anger is always righteous indignation. <laughs> but it's not. I certainly feel that way whenever I get mad. Oh, man, that's, but it's God. I, I know God wants me to be this bad. Uh, usually not the case. And the scripture says the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And when you work it in your own wrath, it tends to muddy the waters and makes things worse. I am guilty of that so often. And uh, and I am still struggling trying to learn the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. I, there are times when I, I, I really sense the anger is coming from God. There's things that motivate me highly uh, in the church, particularly as God has called me and directed me to deal with issues concerning marriage and family and, and, and fundamentally how the church should operate. These things tick me off. I mean, I really get Harked at this, and I sometimes sit back. You know, is that just me? Am I bitter at somebody? But I don't think it is. I, th- I think I think it comes from the Lord. It's a frustration that motivates me to preach and teach. Let's get this right. Let's be real Christians. Let's quit playing games, man. If we can't live this stuff in the most basic relationships of our lives, how can we claim to be living this stuff at all? And and that that kind of fire burns inside of me and motivates me. Uh, that would be considered righteous indignation. I must admit again, not all my anger is righteous. I tend to get hacked about a great deal of things, and it's often just me, and it makes things worse. But uh, anyway, he, he gets angry because of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God makes him angry. and He burns with anger. And he took a pair of oxen, and he cut them into pieces, and, uh, and he sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. So... people are very dramatic so he takes these two cows probably i don't know maybe the cows that were he was just plowing the fields with i don't know and he's so ticked off he takes them and he cuts them into pieces and again he sends these pieces out around israel now i don't know how they did this stuff it all sounds rather odd to me it's not like they had fedex to get this stuff around it took time to get these bits and pieces to everybody i'm not sure how long it took I would think some of these pieces would really start reeking after a while. But anyway, uh, he sends us out, and this messenger comes into this town, and he's got bits and pieces of a dead animal. And the word is, everybody gathers, what's going on? He says, Saul says this is what he's going to do to anybody who doesn't come and follow him, because he's really hacked off. Well, it says, then terror, the terror of the Lord, in other words, it it was a righteous fear, fell on the people. And they turned out as one man. So everybody came out united. This big cutting of the cows and sending it all the place and threatening to cut everybody's cows to pieces, which was a big financial threat, by the way. It's basically saying, you know, uh, whoever doesn't follow me, uh, they're going to lose their jobs and we're going to repossess your house. Uh, No one has that kind of power, but you can imagine if somebody said that. My guess it was it would get everybody's attention. What do you mean? I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be unemployed. I mean, this, this is heavy stuff. When he comes and he says, I'm going to kill all your animals, that was a big deal. Got everybody's attention. They all showed up. And when Paul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. That's what they wanted to know. They had seven days. Uh, so, well, I guess that answers my own question. I don't know how long it did. It obviously took some days to get these people together, but uh, within a time of seven days, they, get it, they could all scatter out with pieces of cows and get everybody gathered together. It's an amazing thing. So, anyway, um, so the seventh day hasn't come. This is the sixth day now. It says, by the time the hottest sun is hot tomorrow, you know, middle, midday, we're going to show up and you're going to be delivering you. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated, I'll bet. A lot better than, gee, we're going to have our eyes poked out tomorrow. Well, they said to the Ammonites, they didn't say, gee, someone's coming to save us. They lied the Ammonites. Why? Because they're evil, rotten people. I'm going to tell them what they're up to. So they said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever seems good to you. So by this time, the uh, Ammonites, very arrogant now, they put out this charge. Anybody come visit, come and rescue them nobody's got the courage it feeds into his ego it's all about ego here and then tomorrow they're going to surrender we start gouging out eyeballs so they're completely uh unprepared for what's coming well the next day Saul separated his men into three divisions during the last watch of the night they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So Saul comes in and does serious butt kicking, wipes out the Ammonites. The threat is now over. Saul is now the hero of the day. And everybody is obviously elated. They went from, we're all going to lose our eyeballs and be intimidated uh, in fear by this bully to great celebration Because of the actions that Saul had taken. This guy who was now going to be their king. Though nothing had really changed much yet. Well that was a big turning point for him. Then the people said to Samuel. Who was it that asked? Shall Saul reign over? So now we're talking about back to this guy. Remember when they first announced this. There were some guys. The valiant men that surrounded Saul. Everybody said long live the king. But then there were a bunch of people who said. Ah who's Saul? He's an idiot. We don't know who this guy is. Well now they're saying. Who was it that said that? Bring these men out to us and we will put them to death. So they're ready to kill these guys, whoever had made smart comments about Saul. Which, of course, I'm sure freaked out these guys. Because, wow, I guess Saul really is a leader. And now they're running our heads on a platter. But Saul stepped up and said, no one shall be put to death today. For this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Again, the humility of Saul is evident Here they come to Samuel, the prophet. We want to kill these guys who criticized Saul. We're going to make them pay for their smart-aleck words after he'd done this great deed. And it's Saul, not Samuel. It's Saul who steps forward. No, no, no. No one will be put to death today, even though he could have taken great offense and said, absolutely. You bunch of jerks, you criticized me. You said I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. Bring them out here. We're going to kill a whole lot of them. Again, he was a humble man. Why God could use him is because he was... A humble man. Um, And we'll see this. Because what eventually causes Saul to fall out of favor with God. Is he became arrogant. And we'll read that scripture where Saul. Where God says to Saul. When you were small in your own eyes. When you thought little of yourself. I could use you. But now that you're really a big shot. And arrogant. I can't use you anymore. And Saul falls out of favor with God. But at this point. He's still a very humble man. This is why God is using Saul. So then Samuel said to the people, "Come, let us go to Gilgal and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. And there they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. All right? And then Samuel uh, basically has this farewell speech that he says to the people, starting in chapter 12. Samuel says to all Israel, I've listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. You wanted a king? I've given you a king. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Remember, this is the guy. What a life he's led. From the time he was a little boy, as soon as he was weaned from his mama, he was taken. You'd think that would be a traumatic thing. It sure freak me out. All of a sudden, as a little boy, just weaned, taken to the temple. And now you live in the temple for the rest of your life, serving God. Wow. So this is a guy from the earliest days of his life has served God and ministered before the Lord. He says, here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe? To make me shut my eyes. If I have done any of these things. I will make it right. So he basically comes before the people. He's old and he's gray. He knows he's going to die. And he just wants to. He, he has such a heart. To do things right. He has such a heart. Uh, to to be righteous before God. That he basically at, at the end of his life. He says I've been here serving you all this time. He says now if anybody. I don't think he was being arrogant. I think he was being heartfelt. He says if, if I have cheated anybody. If, if, if I've done anything wrong, step forward and, and let me know, and I will, I will make it right. I will repay anything. I mean, if, if there's any way that I've sinned against you, uh, which is, wow, what a statement to say. And of course, the people said, Well, you have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You've not taken anything from anyone's hand. And then Samuel says to them, Well, the Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness to stay, talking about Saul, uh, uh, that you have not found anything in my hand. So, just before God, I'm I'm clean. And he is my witness. He is a witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, "Is it the uh, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your forefathers up out of Egypt. Now then stand here because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your fathers. He has a little summary here. Uh, it's not a lot. We'll read it. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to to the Lord for help and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your forefathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place but they forgot the Lord their God so he sold them into the land of Sisera uh, the commander of the army of Hazor and into the hand of the Philistines and the king of Moab who fought against them they cried out to the Lord and said we have sinned and we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you then the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Barak barak uh, jephthah uh, samuel and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies on every side so that you live securely so basically he's basically saying look you know god called you up he brought you you forgot about god you'd get in trouble you'd call out to god god would send a judge someone as we read through the judge of some of these people who would come and rescue them and deliver them uh, but when you saw that nahash king of the ammonites was moving against you You said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us. Even though the Lord your God was your king. So he was just pointing out, look, God has always delivered you. You didn't need a king. You were victorious. You came in, you conquered this entire land with no king. We didn't need a king. God has been our king. And despite the fact that God has always delivered you without a king, when this next threat came, you came begging for a king. Now here is the king you have chosen. The one you asked for. See the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his command, his hand will be against you as it was against your father. So he's, he's basically saying the basic rules still apply. If you will serve God and do the right thing, God will give you favor and the blessings of God will be upon you. If you were the king... Turn away from God, then God's hand will be against you. And this is what happens, as we will read uh, throughout uh, the history here that Israel, they, it seemed like they could never stop. They would do well, uh, they, they'd forget God, they would turn against God, they would sin and offend God, God would send punishment, they'd cry out to God for deliverance. This went on and on and on and on until the big uh, Babylonian captivity which we'll explain later but that was like the big major moment in israel's life it was the major butt kicking that they got uh and that final act seemed to really jerk a lot of the slack out of them things were were a lot different after that anyway uh so then he says now then stand still and see this great thing the lord is about to do before your eyes is it not now wheat harvest Uh, I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain. In other words, it's harvest time now. During this time, it's a dry season. There's generally not rain and thunder and stuff. Uh, I want you to see a sign that God is behind all this. And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. So he's still rebuking them. He's basically, uh, it's interesting to read this. It's a little confusing. He's saying, look, this is, God has given you what you asked for. If you do the right thing, he will bless you. But still, I'm ticked. That you asked for a king. And this is still not right what you did. Then Samuel called upon the Lord. And that same day the Lord said thunder and rain. So all the people stood in, the awe, in awe of the Lord. And Samuel. So basically he gets up. He makes his proclamation. Boom. And all of a sudden. Thunder and rain. And I mean it's like wow. This doesn't happen this time of year. And I'm sure it was quite the display. When God does something. It's usually very impressive. And all the people were like in awe. Of the Lord. And Samuel. And the people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for kings. So they admit, you know, we, we have sinned, they're afraid, they're seeing this great display of power. Uh, and by, by the way, you know, we think we're so powerful and stuff. It's amazing. Uh, thunderstorms and stuff like that. It's amazing how much power is inside a thunderstorm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a huge amount of energy. Man has yet to be able, be able to duplicate. I mean, we've got atomic bombs and stuff, but they say that uh, a major thunderstorm, these things that go up to 60,000, 80,000 feet, will still outdo the energy of an atomic bomb. It, these are incredible things that God does. Uh, it's like, wow. So anyway, um, they cried out to God, and they, and they asked, please don't kill us. Because they, they fear now, because we've done this thing, you've given us a king, we've asked for something God didn't want, God is not going to kill the whole lot of us. He's seeing all this incredible energy in the skies. And Samuel says, Don't be afraid. You have done this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. Then they can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. He was rebuking them. Why do you keep bowing down to these stupid stone statues and worshiping them? For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me... Far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Okay, so God gives him the king. Uh, He says it's okay to be a king. He stresses this is not what I want. Uh, you sinned against me when you did this. They cried out to God to forgive them for that. He says, fine, God is not going to kill you. He's not going to destroy you. He's going to, you're still his people. Uh, you know, it's, it's really an example of, you know, there's, there's some things that God, that we, we put in our lives that doesn't please God, but yet they're not deal breakers. You know, you don't really want to go there. You want to live as right before God as you possibly can. Uh, but sometimes we make decisions and we do things I'm sure if I took a survey of how many of you, gee, have made some bad decisions in your life that you're still kind of paying for to this day, a lot of hands would go up. Does that mean you're doomed and God can't use you? No. It's kind of like the king situation. Was it ideal? No. Was it what God intended? No. Can God still love them and use them? Yes. Okay. Ideally, was it the way it was supposed to be? No. Okay. But it is what it is. And I think that's important to realize. Uh, I think it's important for us as we... As we encourage our young people to follow God. um, That we're honest uh, about our mistakes. And the struggles that people have. And you know bad decisions they've made. And stuff they're paying for. Some of us for the rest of our lives. Bad stupid things that we've done. uh, That we wish we could go back and undo. Uh, The good news is that there's always restoration and hope. Okay. So we want to hold that up. But we want to be careful that we don't hold that up so much. That we give the idea that it doesn't matter if you make bad decisions that is a struggle that we've had in the church in recent times it used to be when i was growing up some of you will remember this it used to be that uh churches made a big deal of people who had huge testimonies you know if you had some guy who'd been a drug addict and a pimp and a uh, stabbed 30 people and been shot five times man he had a great testimony whoa what a fabulous testimony this is like in the 80s particularly this was, was very big and uh People would get up and they're sharing, oh man, this guy's got a fabulous testimony. And the wickedest, most rotten, incredible slime bag we could find, who'd gotten saved, we'd put up on the platform and he'd share his testimony. We all celebrate and stuff like that. Well, this was on the one hand, we were giving glory to God. But on the other hand, we were sending a very bad message to our young people. And many people will tell you during this time, a lot of church young people started literally getting into drugs and making really bad decisions and stuff and, and if you ask them, what are you doing? They literally said, well, we want to we have a testimony too. Well, oh my gosh, how how heartbreaking that was. And the more this became evident, then it stopped. You don't see a lot of that anymore. You don't see a lot of us. You know, every once in a while you'll hear a great testimony like Annie, the the, the ex-hooker, you know. We we brought up, she shared her testimony. But we don't make a big deal out of that stuff anymore. We're kind of careful with that kind of stuff. We're not going to make a parade of ex-hookers that come up and celebrate every time a hooker gets saved and put them up and make them preaching and sharing their stories and stuff. Because what's going to happen? Our daughters are going to start turning into hookers okay you got to be careful about that kind of stuff so while on the one hand you want to celebrate the glory of of God changing and forgiving we just got to be careful that still at the end of the day the best thing to do is to do life right in the first place And I fear that today what we've done is we've kind of done the same thing only it's been adjusted a little bit. We take people who have had the worst possible lives, worst possible scenarios, married and divorced 28 times, you know, all the things. And then yet redemption and and restoration and, and we celebrate. And we should. It's right to celebrate redemption and God making our lives meaningful even though we've made some really bad decisions. And all of you, I'm pretty much sure all the adults here, would say, yes, thank God that there's redemption after making all kinds of different bad decisions, be it personal, business, whatever it was, before I came to Christ, even after coming to Christ and making bad decisions, you know, but God has restored. Well, great. I think we got to celebrate that and encourage that. There's always restoration. But I fear today that we've been making such a celebration of grace and restoration that we've been sending a message to our children again that it doesn't really matter how you live. Doesn't really matter you know you shouldn't Do those things kind of naughty but it's no big If you deal if you do Jesus will fix it Again a bad message Do I believe Jesus Can forgive and straighten anything Out yes I do I don't Care what you've done where you've been what kind of a mess You're in there is hope for you there's Resurrection hope for you there's Restoration hope for you but on the Other hand let us be clear It is better To have never gone that way I mean, it's like I could get people up here sharing their testimonies of how God healed them from cancer. we got all kinds of people in our church that God has healed miraculously of cancer. My wife is one. We've got others. We'll have fabulous stories. But trust me, as wonderful as that is, you don't want cancer. You know, don't, don't smoke 20 packs of cigarettes a day thinking, well, it's really great. Someday Jesus will heal me of lung cancer and then I'll have a great testimony. No, 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 no. You don't want to go. So I hope this is making clear to you. On the one hand, yes. Even if you have cancer, God is a deliverer. And he will heal you. Even if you made bad decisions and horrible things, God will restore and he is a redeemer. Yes, 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 yes. But let's make it clear. Better to live right in the first place. That is the message we need to hold up to our children. And that's why we still proclaim what's right And what is wrong. We're very clear about that in the church. It's not intended to condemn anyone. It's intended to teach and instruct the younger ones. So that they do the right thing. But at the same time we we, we hold out hope. And redemption. I hope that makes sense for all of you. Anyway we love you guys. We will look forward to being with you again next Wednesday. As we continue studying in 1st Samuel.